Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jesus, forgive us. For when we have forsaken you, the spring of living water, and have sought to dug our own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold Jesus, this morning we choose to return to you, our source, our fountain, the spring of living water. We pray that you would come this morning now and refresh us. Lord, you who are the eternal word, come with your living word, your life-giving water of your word today. On parched land today, come and saturate our souls, Lord Jesus, with all of who you are and all that you desire to speak to us. Come now, living water, come, speak to us, I pray. Jesus, come. In the name of the Lord, all God's people said. Hi, I'm Yokai. I was kind of holding back, but I kept hearing fountain, water, everything, and... Um, from Isaiah 55, it says, Invitation to the thirsty. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. And then I'm going to skip to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. Well, now we didn't uh, like organizer plan this, but that's now the second time this morning that that scripture has come up. First this morning in uh, pre-service prayer, then Tali Farrell prayed out Isaiah 55, now shared here Isaiah 55, and in a few moments you're going to hear more of Isaiah 55. So I think God might want to be saying something today. You think? All right. So, Hallelujah. Well, this morning we're going to continue um, a study that we began last week, um, a series of messages that we are called, entitling Daring Do. 
Again, I love the quote of Eleanor Roosevelt. It's right there in the front of your bulletin as well. The world needs dreamers. The world needs doers. But most of all, the world needs dreamers who are doers. So over these eight weeks of our study together, we're going to be looking at a number of great men and women of faith who dared to dream. In this year of dreaming, we want to take that word that the Lord has spoken over us as a congregation and actually put it into action. We want this to be more than simply a nice, neat, clever theme. We want this actually woven into the fabric of our lives individually and corporately. And I believe we're already beginning to see that happen. And in fact, what I'd like to do is invite you to consider for next Sunday if you can encapsulate in, uh, we call them one-minute testimonies. We, we call them one-minute, which means that, you know, it's usually more than a minute, but it's not ten-minute testimonies, all right? It's one-minute testimonies of what God's been doing already, perhaps throughout this year and this year to dream, perhaps specifically as a result of our last uh, sermon series, Living the Dream, or things that God's already beginning to prompt in your heart as we begin to press out. And I believe the Lord's got more that he's going to speak to us today and in the coming weeks. And so we want to just fully absorb that. And we also want to, it says in the word, overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we'd love to hear some words of testimony. So this is an open invitation with a whole week in advance, all right, for you to be thinking about. And so uh, Dave Ogren and Brenda, take note of that for next Sunday to make some space and room for our are uh, some testimonies that God's going to raise up and fire up from within you as the people of God. All right, well, um, one of the things, one of the scriptures that's kind of helping orient us here is Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So sometimes we come to these texts and we come and we say, well, why do we have to look and talk about all these old dead people? I mean, what on earth do they have to do with my life today here in 2012, St. Paul, Minnesota? Well, we are discovering as we study together that these scriptures have been given to us, these words, these stories, these accounts, and, and the history that we have of the people of Israel, both in the Old Testament as well as from Jesus and on into the New Testament through the stories of great faith and great endurance, we find ourselves with fresh wind in our sails or fresh wind underneath our wings to take us, to help us to soar because sometimes even young people grow weary and grow faint. But those who wait on the Lord will rise up with wings like eagles, will run and not grow weary, will walk and not faint. And the Lord, I believe, wants to continue to put that wind on our back, to put a hand on our back, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us endurance for what he has called us to do in our own sphere of influence, our own area. Because I believe that every single one of us has deeds of daring do to be done. All right? And so that's what I'm excited about to continue to share with you. Now, I have a movie that I really, really like. And I don't know if any of you have seen it. 
but it's probably one of my favorites. It's one that I I love to return to periodically when I just want to be encouraged, specifically in this area of dream. And it's it's a simple movie. It's called October Sky. Has anybody ever seen the movie October Sky? It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. And um, it's the story of a, a guy, and you've got to love, and this is his, this is, it's a true story, and I love true stories uh, like this, and it's a guy named Homer Hickman. Now, you've got to love a guy named Homer Hickman, all right? Already I like him, and I like the story. But he grew up in Colwood, West Virginia, which was a town, and this was during the 1950s, and um, Colwood was, in, in West Virginia, was a town that was all about coal. I mean, that's named Colwood, aptly named. And everyone in the town, everything in the town, it was a company town. It was all focused on coal. And, and you didn't really ever get out of Colwood unless you might have had an athletic scholarship to play football for West Virginia or something, got you out. But otherwise, you pretty much were stuck in Colwood in perpetuity. But this one October night... In 1955, Homer Hickman looked up and he saw something in the sky. And what he saw, and who can tell me what he saw in October of 1955 streaking across the sky? Sputnik, the Russian satellite, the first satellite to orbit the Earth. And as Sputnik went by on the horizon of the sky, something fired in Homer Hickman's imagination. So he began to build rockets. And a lot of his attempts didn't go so well at first. But he kept at it, and he had a a mind for engineering. And so he began to build bigger and better and better rockets. And eventually with, I mean, everyone, all the people around him, particularly his father, but also, you know, just just the whole town, as it were, all the voices around him said, stop, you know, doing these ridiculous things. You know what your life is going to look like. You already know the parameters. Your life has been laid out before you. It's defined here within Colwood. But there was something in his imagination that fired for something greater. And he had one teacher, a science teacher, who believed in him and who encouraged him. And he ended up going and winning a, a science fair and, and, and on from there. And, and he began a career and he ended up working for NASA and he ended up helping to build the rockets which sent America into space to the moon and beyond. It's a wonderful story of overcoming seemingly insurmountable And so that's what we're going to be looking at a bit this morning. Now, just to remind you, and you can always get CDs. You can sign up for CDs in the back. You can pick up CDs from the whole previous series are in the back and PowerPoints. You can sign up for CDs of this series and uh, the PowerPoints or pull them off the the website. But um, last week, our first great Old Testament character to teach us was Abraham. And really, Abraham taught us, don't settle, get out. All right? Abraham's father, you'll have to, again, listen to the, if you weren't here last Sunday, but Abraham's father, Terah, was on his way to Canaan, but settled in Haran. 
And it was the call that came unto Abraham's life in Genesis 12 where the Lord spoke to him and said, it's time to get out. It's time to move towards the destiny to which I have called you. And the Lord spoke to us last week and said, don't settle for anything less than his blessing. And don't settle for anything else than being a blessing. Too often we settle for less. We settle for something else. When God has something much greater, much fuller, much deeper, much more substantial for us to experience and to live and to grow into as a people. Well, this um, morning, we're going to be uh, moving on now to the story of Gideon. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. It's page 240 in my Bible, but it'll be coming up. It's right after Joshua. It's the seventh book of the Old Testament, right after the Pentateuch, the first five books, Joshua, and then Judges, which begin to give us some of the history. These are known as the history books in Scripture. Right now, by the way, in Saturate, we're finishing strong. We're just... Just finished reading Ezekiel. Next week is a short week of reading. The book of Daniel, only 12 chapters. Last week, Norm, our Pharaoh master, keeping us moving along. No. On our reading, we did all of Ezekiel. 48 chapters worth. My goodness. But this week, we get a little breather and we get to do the book of Daniel. We've got 12 chapters to read. And I want to encourage you. The prophets, it's been wonderful. Come and interact and just continue to interact in your small groups and other places. Because I'm telling you, something happens when you saturate yourself in the Word of God. It makes a difference. So this morning, I have uh, entitled the message. Well, first of all, we're going to learn from Gideon that don't let your fears, don't let your frustrations, don't let your failures block your dreams. Step up. So I've entitled the message, Step Up. Now to give us some background, let's go to Judges chapter 6. I love the rustle of pages. I think you're there with me now. So I'm reading from the New International Version, which is the version that you have uh, in, the, uh, in the book rack in front of you there. Judges chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at the cycle of spiritual failure and renewal. This is a cycle that's repeated over and over again in the book of Judges and can be kind of instructive for us in our own spiritual life because I think we find ourselves, you know, again, we're learning from those who have gone before us. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hands of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Now this introduces us to a cycle that continues to go on for the people of Israel throughout the book of Judges and basically throughout Israelite history. And you might be able to relate to it in your own life today. It begins where there is sin and rebellion against God. The people of Israel rebelled against God. And, and, and it's amazing. We were just talking about this last week in our life group about reading through Ezekiel. I, here's what I was struck by in the prophets this time and reading through them. I'm, you know, sometimes we think in the Old Testament that God is the transcendent. By that, I mean distant, faraway God. And we get to the New Testament And he's finally, he's Emmanuel, God with us. But what I've been reading, as I've been reading through the prophets, what I've been hearing is the closeness of God to his people in the Old Testament. What I've been hearing as I've been reading through the prophets is how deeply God's heart is moved and concerned about his people. You hear him and it's like there's this this deep grief that goes on in his heart for the people who have turned their back on him. And usually it's about the issues of idolatry, turning to other sources, which is why it was so important this morning for us to sing about and hear together. He is our source. He's our fountain. He's the one. Why are you looking for God? Why why are you looking for source? Why are you looking for life in other places other than God? Throughout the, again, the prophets, you know, you, you carve something up, you place gold over it, you set it here, you make it, you set it up, and suddenly you're worshiping the thing that you've made? But if we're honest in our own life, now we probably don't have carved idols in our house. But we've got idols in our house. <laughs> Things that we look to for our sustenance, for our life, for our security, for our safety, for all the things, for our satisfaction, for the things that our soul naturally needs. So it begins with this sin and rebellion against God, which results in servitude. There's a devastation that takes place. There is, a, there is bondage that takes place. The people of Israel continuously, they, they rebel against God, and then they become indentured to that. We don't call it sin anymore in our day. We just call it addiction or we call it, we we have other psychological names for it. But really it's the same thing in that, that, that what happens in our life, we choose to turn our back on the Lord and the thing which we are finding life from suddenly begins to take life from us. Instead of us mastering it, it begins to master us. Right? I mean, this is just, come on. (laughs) I'm I'm just talking, you know, honest to us. If we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, the things that we have looked to for life have begun to take life from us. The thing that started out so attractive, now suddenly we see that, oh, there's chains attached to that. 
that relationship, that, that job, that position, that power, that wealth, that, that um, whatever, that entertainment, that thing which we're looking for suddenly binds us. At some point in the process, there comes a heart that cries out to God. I mean, it says, and over and over again, you get this in the book of Judges. You see it throughout the history books and Kings and Sam, same, same sorts of things happening over and over again. The people of God cry out to God for help. And most of us perhaps finally find ourselves in that same place where it's like, help! We suddenly realize that the thing, instead of that thing serving us, we're serving it. We know, we recognize the depth of our need for Him and we cry out to God for help. And hopefully out of that, repentance begins to happen and we begin to turn ourselves away from. Repentance means to turn away from and turn towards. It's a, it's a turning around. We begin to turn our lives around and turn ourselves to God. And what happens is He comes because He's so faithful. He comes with salvation and shalom. He comes with shalom. And He touches us in the areas of our life where we have need. And He meets us in our place. He's a gracious God. How long, how I long to be gracious to you, it says in Isaiah 30. How I long to minister, how I long to heal you, how I long to deliver you, how I long to save you, how I long to bring you justice, how I long to bring you peace, how I long to bring you hope, how I long to bring you comfort. I'm here ready, waiting, willing to bring to you that which you need. If you would but come to me. So that's what we have as a... So, so here's the context now. For Gideon. So what we want to look at next is the process of breaking the blocks to daring do. Simple thing. We've got two main points we're going to be looking at this morning. And the first point is this. If you are going to break the block to daring do, and, and now, now God sends... So God sends to them a prophet to speak to them, and then he sends them Gideon, one who will lead them into the place of freedom. But in order to do that, and we're going to look at Gideon's life, and Gideon's going to be an example to us, an encouragement to endure, an encouragement for your life and mine, as we step into whatever leadership God has given us. Every single one of you is a leader in one place or another in your life. Each of you have spheres of influence. And God wants to speak to you about your sphere of influence today and wants to speak to you, mostly He wants to speak to you about who you are. And when you know who you are, you will know what to do. Let me say that again. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So we're going to look, first of all, at Judges Chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abarzite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Gideon looked around and said, who's he talking to? (laughs) But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Okay. Here we go. If you're going to realize your God-given identity, the first thing that you need to do is recognize the lies of the enemy. Now, if you look here in what we just read in Judges chapter 6, you can see a couple of different lies. So, Lord, the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened? Where are the wonders? God, where are you? What are you doing? Who are you? You say you're good, but I'm not seeing any evidence of that. Not only that, mighty warrior, but Lord, I'm the least of all. And then later, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. Let me ask you a question. Who defines who you are? Who defines who you are? Let me put it another way. What defines your identity, who you are. In our culture, you're primarily defined by what you do. Because of our particular society, you're, you're, you're defined by what you produce. Other cultures, some of the cultures that you, many of you in this congregation, have come, from, come out of, you're defined by your family and what the people around say. So for a lot of us, we're defined by what we do or we're defined by what other people say about who we are. Or another way of looking at it, particularly again in our culture, but I think this is probably in all cultures, is you're defined by what you have. And you gain your identity out of those things. I would submit to you that all of those are inadequate. And all of those can be used by the enemy to distort and define you and confine you into a box into which you were not intended to be put. I don't know about you, but, you know, and maybe I'm the only one, but, you know, and and <laughs> let me clarify this. This is going to sound great. But um, anybody else ever hear those voices in your head <laughs> that are like, who do you think you are? Look at the mess you made of that. You just, you're a hopeless failure. <laughs> we all hear, you know, particularly about three in the morning. Oh, man. 
Those voices get like amplified. Oh, it's bellowing in your ear. I love this picture in Zechariah. It's one of my favorites. I, I would really encourage you to just meditate on this. When those lies of the enemy start coming in. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua. This is a, a vision that Zechariah gets, a prophetic vision. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him because the enemy's name is accuser. His job, I mean, his, his basic modus operandi, the thing that he wants to do is to accuse you. So he stands at the right side to accuse him. And, the, and I love what this says. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Here's how I do spiritual warfare. I don't, like, address the enemy myself. I just say, Jesus, speak to him. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. I let Jesus do the rebuking because when he does the rebuking, (laughs) yeah, something happens. Now Joshua was dressed... Is is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Love that picture. That's exactly what the Lord wants to do for you. Even this morning, He wants to take off those filthy rags of the things, all of the the things that have been said about you, the things that you've said about yourself, the ways in which you've defined yourself, and He wants to put on to you, He wants to help you realize and receive the truth of God about yourself. What does God say about us? What does he say? Well, I'm going to begin in a place that you might not expect. I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17 in Jesus' baptism. Now, when we talk about Jesus' baptism, usually we've got lots of theological stuff that we want to talk about around that and how he was fulfilling, you know, prophetic, which he was, and how he was standing in the tradition and how he was identifying with the Israelites and how he was doing all these things and how he was obedient. And yes, all of those things are true, Okay. But here's what I want to get at this morning. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. With him I have favor. I pour out my favor on him because this is my Beloved. Well, that's great. Jesus was his Beloved. Well... John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us, 1 John 4. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
Can I put it this way for us this morning? I think I'm going to just offer you as a something for you to mull on here this morning. But I think that a lot of the blocks that keep us from doing the daring do deeds of God, daring to dream and do the things that God has dreamed us within us to do is because of the fears, the failures, the frustrations, the things that hold us on all those other voices and the fact that we don't recognize the reality and we're not receiving the truth that we are the beloved of God. I believe that what happened for Jesus at His baptism was the very thing that fueled all of His earthly ministry. It says in John 17, when he got down to, 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 to wash the feet of his disciples, he says, knowing who he was, he took off his clothes and he took the towel and he began to wash their feet. Because he knew who he was. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. But the fact of the matter is, most of us don't know who we are. Or we forget. We lose sight of it. We have all those other voices crowding and shouting at us. So could I whisper to you this morning and let you hear the whisper in your spirit. You are beloved of God. You're beloved of God. And when we get hold of it, it begins to change everything begins to change everything. And I believe our life is an ongoing process of receiving the reality of that truth. And the more deeply and more fully we receive it, the more we'll be able to step in to what He has called us to do. All right. Number two, respond then from your God-given identity. Respond. I love the word responsibility. You know what the word responsibility means? It means the ability to respond. It's the ability to respond. By the way, when I'm doing that, I'm just getting air because I'm getting hot. Okay, so if you see me waving my finger in the air, why is he doing that? Help. Get some air. I love this. In the book, Courage to Teach, Parker Palmer, good writer, he describes what he calls an undivided life. Listen to this. He claims that individuals come to a juncture where they must choose between allowing selfhood to die or claiming the identity and integrity which comes, which good, from which good living comes. According to Palmer, great historical movements begin when people make a personal decision to live on the basis of their identity and integrity. He cites Rosa Parks as an example. Her refusal to give up her seat on a bus marked the beginning of the civil rights movement. This is what Rosa Parks said. She said, people always say that I gave up my, that I gave up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I wasn't tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I wasn't old, although some people have an image of me being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. 
According to Palmer, when a person lives an undivided life, they take responsibility for their lives. They go beyond criticizing an institution and become self-critical as well. By choosing an undivided life, I implicitly acknowledge that the institution would have no power over me if I refused to go along with it. No longer are those people or that place my immediate problem. My immediate problem is me and the silent conspiracy I've had with the institution, the conspiracy that allowed the conspiracy to rule my life. Are you willing to take responsibility for your life? Are you willing to stop looking at others in the past and live out the identity God has given to you? You may have just have to take the first steps of obedience and then trust Christ for the results. Sharing Christ with others, doing daily devotion, applying to school, beginning to pray again. Act on the basis of who you are. Act on the basis of who you are. Now Midian had to go through a process. I mean Gideon, not Midian. Gideon had to go through a process. He had to first of all recognize when you are reacting to the lie. Now, the next part of our story, and I'm not going to take time to read it all. I'm going to give you an assignment to read Judges 6, 7, and 8, because if we take it all and read it this morning, we'll be here for a while yet. So, what I'm going to do is invite you to read it. But the next part of the story, Gideon has to, he's brought and he's going up and he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. And he, and he puts out these fleeces. And by the way, fleeces are not really a great New Testament way of discernment. Okay? I mean, that was, God was very gracious to Gideon because Gideon was being very hesitant and tentative about what he was going to do. And then he goes up and he, and he cuts down Baal's altar. But he does it at night because he's still afraid. He's still, in a sense, responding out of lies. He's still, he still hasn't fully claimed that identity. And that can be a process for us of discovery. When you begin to realize and recognize when you are reacting from the lie. In fact, here, let me, let me, let me offer this as a discernment tool for you. It's been helpful for me. There is a difference between reacting and responding. And I've discovered that when I'm reacting, I'm usually, it's kind of like being led or being driven. When I'm reacting, it's usually because I'm being driven. When I'm responding, I'm responding because I'm being led by the Spirit. And there is a difference. So how do you figure this out? Well, spend some time reflecting on your life. Just look over, you know, an unexamined life is really an unlived life. If you don't ever take time to pause and examine your life and say, huh. Sometimes I just, you know, sometimes when I'm counseling with people, I just say, well, have you ever noticed this pattern in your life in other areas of your life? It's amazing, because they think it's all about this and that other person who's getting in my way. And it's like, why don't we just pull back for a minute? Why don't you take a look around? You ever notice this going on? You know, spend some time reflecting on your life. Receive input from tested and trusted friends. There's some people in my life who speak into my life on a regular, consistent basis. I ask for their input. In fact, there have been times in my life, I can think of one time in particular, when I was so turned upside down, I took two of my very closest friends and 
more than once sat them together in a room with me and said, okay, I don't trust myself right now to be able to know how to make wise decisions. Would you please give me your counsel? I'm not telling you to tell me what to do, but I'm telling you, I'm asking you to tell me what you would do if you were me right now because you can see better than I can. Save me incredible pain and stupidity. It's really good to have tested and trusted friends. People that you can talk to. And then renew your mind in the Word of God. There's an ongoing process, and this is why saturate's important. It's why knowing the Word is important. It will change the way you think. Because the world's got all of this stuff coming at you all of the time with all of its messages, and somehow you've got to have something that reorients you, and that reorienting happens when you renew your mind in the Word of God. It says in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It happens through this ongoing transformation of your thought processes. If you do it. (laughs) Too many of us have got a whole lot of stinking thinking going on. We've got a lot of stinking thinking. God wants to renew. He wants to wash your mind with his word and begin to transform the way you think so that you begin to do and act in obedience. Okay. Then receive... Whoa, that's weird. Receive the authority to respond out of truth. Okay, we're going to get to Isaiah 55. The PowerPoint was even excited about getting there. All right, so... We're going to get there in a moment. All right. So then you've got chapter 7, which is that great story, you know, of Gideon taking the army. So he starts with, how many does he start with? He's got 32,000. All right. And then he says, everybody who's afraid, go home. All right. So 22,000 left. And he's got 10,000. All right. Now they're going up against over a hundred thousand, an army of over a hundred thousand. And God says to Gideon, you got way too many people. 10,000 is way too many. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the river and have them drink. And I want you to watch how they drink. Those who kneel down like this and stick their heads in the water, they're not going to make the cut. All right? Because if they got their heads in the water... They aren't looking out for any enemies. You just look for those that are doing this, that are drinking like this. And he's got how many left? 300. Now we're talking. 300 against about 120,000. Sounds like great odds to me. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what? You're going to take a pitcher, torch, trumpet. Three things. Woohoo! All right. I don't have any stinger missiles. We don't have anything else. We've got some, you know, ball jars, some candles, and a cornet. And that's it. All right, then this whole, it's great. It's a great story. Read it. It's fun. Read it. Okay? Not going to read it. 
But he goes down to the camp. Guy's got a dream. Here's about, you know, all this. And so then he positions them around, and at the right moment, they blow the trumpets, they break the glass, they put their torches up and their beams, and the whole enemy's camp is in disarray, and they end up killing each other. It's marvelous. All right? It's this incredible victory. I love God's battle plans. You know? Try to put those into, like, the book of how to do battle. All right, let's see. Jars, torches. Okay, you got it. All right. So how do I receive the authority to respond out of truth? Remember who and whose you are. Remember whose you are. Reorient yourself around God's plans and purposes. And then rest in his promises. So now here we are in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Have you heard this recently? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And guess what? My thoughts and ways are as higher than yours. As big. You know, you go, oh man, I can't pray that. That's too big. My dream's too big. How big is your dream compared to God? All right. Somebody's going to hang with me and enjoy this. This is where I'm going to be closing. All right, because this is just great. I was just reading this. This is fabulous. When it says, as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and your thoughts and my thoughts. Okay, well, let's try to put that into perspective. All right. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Okay, snap your finger, and light has already gone around the planet six times. In the time it took me to do that, light's gone six times. The sun is 94.4 million miles away. If I drove 65 miles an hour... I would assume I kept the speed limit. Okay, um, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, I'd get there in 163 years. I'm sure I can shave a few years off of that. Okay, but let's just go with me on this. All right. Now, the light that you're feeling on your face came from the sun only eight minutes ago. Now, the sun is the nearest star in our tiny galaxy, the Milky Way. There are more than 80 billion galaxies. Say billion. Billion. 80 billion galaxies. Now, in a light year, light travels 5,815,696,000,000 miles. The outer edge of the universe, these 80 billion galaxies, the farthest edge is 15.5 billion light years away. That's the distance between God's thoughts and yours. Fifteen point five billion light years. His thoughts over yours. You think he can't figure out your issues? You think he can't empower you to fulfill the dreams he's given to you? Come on. 
Get some perspective here. I'm going to accomplish. I'll do. You can rest in my promises. Norm, I just need you to come up if you would. Judges 8.28. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. And during Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace for 40 years. It gets bad again pretty quick. (laughs) All right. They didn't keep, you know, they started the cycle all over again. But for 40 years, for a generation, there was influence. Something happened. Something changed. Life flowed. So here's what I want to invite you to consider today. So I'd like you to consider letting the love of God remove your fears and the goodness of God replace your failures, to let the grace of God recover your failures, letting the presence of God empower you to step up and to dare to do His dreams. seems to me that Many of us, perhaps here today, have been like Gideon. And we said, I'm the weakest, I'm the least. Can't you see what a mess things are? Where are you, God? I mean, do you notice what's going on? But I believe that this morning the Lord wants to change our name. And whoever's back at the uh, PowerPoint, if you could please be ready to put those up. We're going to... Sing a simple chorus. It's an old chorus. It's been around a long time. But I believe the Lord wants to do some name changing today to help us to step up into what He's got for us. And so, if you would just, if you're physically able to stand up, it'll make it easier for people to move around in a moment. We're going to sing this through, and I'm going to open up the altar. And then after that, the rest of the worship team can join Norm after we've had benediction prayer and we'll just open it up for even for more worship but this morning I just want to um, I want to invite you today to be a name changer to be to go through a name change so that you can be a game changer there's a lot of baseball prayer going on this morning I don't know what that was about but it was wonderful there was a great baseball prayer going about it was great pictures of anyway but you want to be a game changer you got to have a name change God wants to change your name today so that you'll know who you are, so you'll know what to do. So maybe I'm the only one that this hits today. I kind of doubt it. So if you're here this morning, man, woman, young, old, and you just realize, man, I've been like Gideon and I've been allowing a lot of other stuff to define me. And this morning I want to come back and allow God to define me. And I need him to change my name. While we sing this through, I'm going to invite you to this altar. Not because there's anything magical, but just because in a step of obedience, just to say, God, I really need transformation today. Then I'm going to pray for all of us, but just step out while we sing. Just open your hands. Jesus, this morning, we are here before you as your children. Lord, and I'm asking, I don't, I don't have any fancy prayer here other than to just say, Jesus, would you please come 
you just open your hands even out in the congregation right now and just open your hands that you would come and Lord that you would imprint into us and impart to us the reality of who we truly are as your children Lord you would speak and whisper in ears today you are my beloved you are my beloved you are my beloved I've loved you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never let you out of the palm of my hand. I have it. I've got you. I have you. You're mine. You're mine. Remain in my love. I'm things to do through you that you can hardly even imagine. I'm going to pour out life through you. Begin to respond out of the truth of who you are. You'll know what to do. You'll know what to do. You know who I am and who you are. You'll know what to do. I've given you dreams. They're for me. I've given you things to do. Good works I've prepared in advance for you to do. Those are from me. I've created you for those. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by me, the Lord says. Jesus. So I pray now, God, that you would do what no words can do, but what your spirit can do. Take and bring alive the truth that you've spoken today. Renew our minds in your word today. Do the very thing we've talked about that we need to have happen. Do it today. Renew us, Lord. Transform us. Transform us by your word. And I pray that each and every one here will be filled afresh today with that irresistible love of God the Father. The, the immeasurable love of God the Father. The irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours with the banner of his favor over your life. May his peace and presence be with you as you go to make disciples of all nations. As we gather either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you people of God. In the name of Jesus.